Hi, you're listening to On Israel at Al Monitor, and this is Ben Kaspid from Tel Aviv. The peace agreement, well, actually the normalization agreement between Israel and the UAE, will probably be signed sometime this month at the White House in the presence of President Trump, Prime Minister Netanyahu, and Emirati Crown Prince Bin Zayed. The Americans are promising that uh, other Arab states will join the Emirates, and what has been a diesel so far could become a flood, and maybe not. Right now, Sudan seems to be next in line, as well as Bahrain, and perhaps other Gulf states. It was also reported in recent days that Israel and Kosovo, a Muslim state in Europe, would recognize each other. Are we at the start of a golden age in the Middle East? Is this the end of the long-accepted paradigm that any normalization with the Arab world must be linked to progress on Israeli-Palestinian peace? How will this process affect the Middle East in general, the conflict with the Shiite axis in particular, and the almost nightly war that is waged in Syria between Israel and Iran, according to foreign reports? Ambassador Ron Prosor is Israel's Mr. Diplomacy. He served as Director General of the Foreign Ministry, was a much admired ambassador to the UK, and then Israel's permanent representative to the UN. Prosor is a consensus figure in Israeli diplomacy and one of its most articulate and persuasive voices. He advocates a new type of diplomacy, one that relies on power, intelligence, and innovation rather than on seeking favors from other states and asking them to like us. Ambassador Prosor, currently head of the Abba Ibn Institute for International Diplomacy at the Interdisciplinary Center in Herzliya, will join us right after this short commercial break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me. Andrew Parasoliti. Let's say hi to Ambassador Ron Prosor, our guest in today's podcast. Shalom, Ambassador. Shalom, shalom. Thank you for joining us here in Al Monitor. My first question is. Is the normalization agreement about to be signed between Israel and the UAE a strategic historic event for the Middle East or simply another stage in an evolutionary process that has been a long time coming? After all, we've had relations with them for 25 years. The news is that the relations are no longer an open secret. 
they are out in the open. How dramatic is it in your opinion? Well, uh, I think it's neither or. It means that uh, an evolutionary stage can also be historic. It's an evolution because in that sense, it continues a long process. Uh, but it also, it's also a revolution in the sense that Israel is no longer the mistress. Uh, we've become a legitimate wife. You can't underestimate the value of symbols in the Middle East because it sends several really strong messages. The first message is to its own people that the Emirates leadership and leadership in the Middle East is absolutely crucial, is investing in their future and doing the necessary steps to move from a traditional oil-based economy to a modern digital economy. And it sends also a message to the Palestinians, uh, dear friends, uh, if you keep on refusing to everything, uh, the train has moved and uh, countries will follow and no longer mortgage their own interests for the Palestinian case. And I think it also sends, and the last, that's the last thing, a message to Iran uh, that they will not sit back the pragmatic Sunnite states and let Iran undermine the Middle East and create instability. I want to ask you a tricky question that I did not uh, plan to ask, but because you used the paraphrase about we are marrying now the mistress, I will ask you who is the wife we left, uh, we left uh, at home when, when you, we went, uh, got out to marry the mistress, and I think you just touched it about the Palestinians. What, what effect do you think this process will have on the Palestinian process about the Palestinian track? We are dealing with it maybe 25 years since the Oslo Accords or maybe the, the Madrid Convention. Uh, what is the future of, of all these uh, negotiations, historical negotiations? Can it work against it, or, or maybe it can affect a new Palestinian leadership that will hopefully emerge and finally realize that time is no longer ticking in favor of the Palestinians? It's a very good point. Uh, when you talk about you know, uh, bilateral open relations and peace agreements, then uh, I want to remind the listeners with Egypt and Jordan we moved into a peace agreement uh, and both, uh, by the way, also uh, uh, Jordan and Egypt received by doing this something also on the Palestinian side, both from uh, Menachem Begin and the prime minister and also Jordan. And I think that uh, moving now with the Emirates, they can claim that they, uh, by making peace with Israel, can influence Israel's policy and they connect it to the issue of annexation. There's a change in paradigm which is absolutely crucial because the Emirates are saying something which is new and it's strategic and it's groundbreaking. They are saying, dear friends, we understand that we can influence Israel's policy by engaging with Israel, by making peace with Israel and not sitting on the balcony and shouting it's a lousy show. By doing that, I think they are opening a new paradigm. With the Palestinians, Ben, you know me for many years, I'm not optimistic. 
because they refuse everything. Look at the way they also react to this peace agreement uh, by burning flags, by uh, the way their attitudes towards the Emirates. By the way, also in Jordan, we see that. So I'm not very optimistic. They really have to understand that if they uh, don't move, the world has changed and uh, other countries are going to put their national security interests on the for forefront of how they operate. I, I want to dip uh, uh, even deeper, to, to dive in, the deep, in uh, even deeper in this matter, because it's very complicated, but, but crucial as well. Yes, we are seeing now that the current Palestinian leadership uh, playing it hard to get, and uh, like you said, burning flags. But on the other hand, we, we are also seeing that I think that the security cooperation between Israel and the PA is going to be renewed. But I want to ask you about the next generation. Something big is happening in the, in the Arab world, in the Middle East. You see, you see it in the Emirates, you see it in Bahrain, you see it in Morocco, you see it in many places. Is there any hope that, the, that there will be new leadership among the Palestinians? You know, the, the unemployment around the, 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 the Palestinians' youth is unbelievable. They want, as all of us, they want to be, uh, they want relief, they want education, they want standard of living, they want economy, they want jobs. Is it possible that not, not on the uh, right, you know, next week, but mid and long term, this is the only future we can, we can expect with our Palestinian partners? So uh, on this, I would uh, fall back on a uh, Shkaki, who is the pollster on the Palestinian side, and he asked the Palestinians, I think recently, uh, is, there, if, is there going to be a change in the attitude towards Israel because of changes in economy, a better life? The answer is they won't change their opinion because of a better standard of living. But, and this is important, normalization and a better standard of living decreases the uh, support for violence and terror. So inside the Palestinian street, the more normalization, the more economic situation, better, the better it is, there would be less support for terror. All those terrorists would not receive a hero's welcome. So uh, I, I see normalization and a good economic life, uh, very important, but I don't think it would affect the positions of the Palestinians concerning the conflict uh, uh, with Israel. So uh, it's a mixed blessing there. So, uh, and, and we can prove what we just said when uh, we look at uh, both places, the West Bank to, uh, and against the, the Gaza Strip. You see, the West Bank, where, where economy is a, a lot better, and unemployment is a lot lower, you can see the support of terror is also lower. But let, let, let me ask you, Ambassador Prosor, about the UAE and the, the Gulf states. I want to ask you, during your time as Israel's ambassador in the UN, you were mainly with all of them, but was there any contacts, real contacts with the UAE in particular and with the Gulf states in general? How did life look like when you're a UN ambassador, an Israeli UN ambassador in the UN, and with all these guys? 
So, uh, look, the relationship, when we say evolution, the relationship with the Gulf states, the Emirates, Oman, Bahrain, uh, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, uh, and others, uh, you know, we, we have uh, relations under the radar screen for at least 20, 25 years. Uh, it's not just me as director general, but a very good team from the foreign ministry lay the infrastructure to what you see coming out. So at the UN, uh, we had uh, a lot of conversations and a lot of dialogue and a lot of things were done under the radar screen on the economic side, on the health side. Uh, in essence, it was an amazing relationship under the radar screen and many, many people, and I have to, uh, I have to emphasize that, not just from the foreign ministry, but the foreign ministry usually is pushed aside to the margins, uh, did amazing work to lay the infrastructure, not just in Abu Dhabi and Dubai, but also in, with countries that we don't have diplomatic ties with. And the UN is a wonderful place uh, to meet, talk with them. As you know, Ben, New York is a big place. We don't have to kiss each other in the middle of the General Assembly. The Germans would say, kiss mich nicht unter den Linden. Uh, but there's a lot of places, and we met and conducted the dialogue with many countries, including, like I said, countries from other places in the world where we don't have diplomatic ties with. To what extent, in your opinion, Ambassador Pursor, will the deal with the Emirates impact the balance of power between the Shiite axis led by Iran and the Sunni states that view Iran as, a, as an existential threat. And I want to ask you the same from the others, other position, the other side. If you, Ron Prosor, were the, the, the national security advisor of Ayatollah Khamenei, what would you tell him when Israel is suddenly appearing 50 miles from the Iranian shore in the Emirates, and after Israel is, is there, a, 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 you know, the, the F-35 uh, stealth bombers uh, from United States will also park there. So what, what should the Iranians do now? First of all, Ben, thank you for offering me the job of the National Security Advisor of Khamenei. The only thing you didn't do yet. This can be short-lived, you know. This is one of the jobs that you could see me then hanging in the middle of Tehran with a big crane. But uh, I, would, I would look at it from two sides. First of all, I think, and we have to be very realistic, what we see now in the pragmatic Arab world, the Emirates and others, we see them uh, positioning themselves because Iran is a real clear threat to their own national security. So they're basically seeing Israel as part of the solution, not part of the problem. And uh, by doing that, they're saying, dear friends, we are allies. Uh, they are telling the United States of America, uh, we need you here in the region, we need you to help us cover and not uh, give the hegemonial position to Iran, which undermines everything in the region. By the way, the Iranians also, uh, people, most people don't know that, try to undermine Morocco, uh, Mohammed VI. Uh, bottom line, from their point of view uh, and from ours, Iran was a clear reason of why they moved into this uh, position. From their point of view, what I see is, especially in the pragmatic uh, Arab world, a young generation, a generation that uh, 
connects to the outer world, well-educated, and in essence, this young gen generation, the Arab world, uh, is our hope for the future. They can connect to us. They don't need the leadership to decide for them. Uh, it's, a different, it's a different world out there. And uh, the minute we engage, we will first and foremost have the people-to-people that we don't really have with Jordan or Egypt. Another tri tricky question that I'm just uh, thinking about. Assuming we can contain the Iranian nuclear threat and with, with the superpowers in the agreement in the United States, we can uh, hold the Iranians from uh, reaching a, a, a nuclear power. And, and assuming we can deal with the, with the, with the terror that Iran is, uh, is spreading, maybe history, you know, historians 200 years from now will actually say that Iran was the, 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 the most important strategic asset of Israel in these times, because it, it, it enabled us to, to join the Sunni world, and we are, we are surrounded uh, by Sunni states, not by Shiite states, if we will uh, conclude, exclude the, the Hezbollah in Lebanon. I, I completely agree. I think that uh, uh, Iran here, and uh, we're in the midst of the Shi Shiite-Sunnite uh, uh, revolution, in the sense, uh, the Iranians, uh, we have to thank the Iranians. No one has done more to bring Israel and the pragmatic Sunnite states together than the Iranians. I don't think I would have told that as a national security advisor to Khamenei, but uh, that's, that's uh, the truth. We see them understanding and doing things that uh, we wouldn't have seen them doing uh, years back. So I completely agree. I think that... Uh, in essence, when you zoom out, it's, uh, uh, I would brand it as the coalition of the willing and the coalition of the unwilling. The coalition of the unwilling. Uh, we have Iran, we have Yemen, we have uh, Hezbollah, we have, uh, we have countries that are not willing to do anything but always are trying to undermine and through terror and violence are trying to change uh, the way people uh, think and the way people live. And the coalition of the willing, you see uh, not just Egypt and Jordan and the Emirates and, and uh, Saudi Arabia with a new leader, Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, we see that part of the world in the pragmatic Arab world having more and more uh, strength, and I hope it would tip the balance. Let's talk a little about uh, the Israeli internal dilemma. Uh, I want to ask you, is Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister, is he right when he says that this is the first time Israel is making peace in return for peace? Let's face it, Netanyahu gets normalization, but in return he gives up a historic opportunity to annex territories. He freezes construction in the settlements and he's forced to accept the sale of F-35s and other strategic weapons by the U.S. to the Emirates. Is this a good deal? What would you do uh, in Netanyahu's shoes? So uh, I think that uh, concerning annexation, uh, 
I'm absolutely convinced that uh, the fact that uh, we are not doing annexation uh, is just going to strengthen both our relationship with Jordan and Egypt. Uh, it doesn't make a, it's not still talking about, you know, the Jordan Valley and having Israel's army still there. That's a different story. But, uh, and, and people don't have to mix this up. It's really important. Israel will defend itself by itself. And of course, no UN forces or American forces. Uh, don't get me started on what I think about UN peacekeeping forces. Uh, but it's clear that uh, this is something that uh, is, uh, is really important. Uh, concerning uh, the F-35, then you know very well uh, that Israel always, uh, with the United States of America, talks about the QME, the Qualitative Military Edge. Uh, Israel for years has been trying to maintain that, but don't forget one thing. Uh, Israel, uh, we always think of ourselves as very strong, uh, but we are the mouse in comparison to the elephant. Sometimes we think we are mighty mouse, but we're still a mouse. And when the United States of America decides because of American national security interests to sell different uh, military systems, we can argue, we can fight. Uh, the president needs the consent of the American Congress, both the House and the Senate. Uh, and I think we are going to really, uh, really insist on uh, the you know, qualitative military edge. At the end of the day, this is an American decision. It's going to be clearly very hard for Israel to go to Congress and say that uh, the Emirates and the others, because there's a peace agreement, there's Iran, uh, why they should not be able to uh, get that. But I think that would have been the case, I may say so, uh, even if, that, uh, if we wouldn't have peace with the uh, Emiratis or with the Gulf. We have to be very, very fair on this. Uh, you remember the AWACS, you remember other systems. Yeah, the, the heart that we really fought uh, when I was in Washington also. Uh, we have to keep that. By the way, this is important. Israel's qualitative military edge allows us to make peace from a standpoint of being strong, a standpoint of a strong country that can allow itself to make concessions. Uh, uh, only a strong Israel can really maintain a... a a long-standing peace in the region. Let's go back to the Iran front as we approach November 3rd. To what extent are the U.S. presidential elections a dramatic event for the campaign against Iran's nuclear program and the spread of its influence in the election? It's not, not a secret that the Iranians are praying for a Biden victory, which may allow them to reach a, conven a convenient agreement with the U.S. and get rid of some of the sanctions. Should we expect growing, growing tensions ahead of the elections and in their uh, aftermath. What should Israel be preparing for uh, an all-out all war with Iran and its allies or a new nuclear agreement, even if not a perfect one, which uh, the U.S. will join? Okay, it's a fair question, but I want to say that Joe Biden is not uh, Barack Obama. Uh, 
yes, he talks about the uh, changes in the nuclear agreement, uh, but the facts on the ground and the changes since this agreement was made with the uh, nuclear archive, it's quite clear where Iran is going. It's also quite clear what Iran is doing in the region, and it's also quite clear that all the people that said that the internal things in Iran will change, more, more pragmatic people are going to be uh, voted into the Majlis, the Iranian parliament, uh, basically, no, 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 nothing happened. So I think you'll see a different approach by the Biden administration, but taking into account already what was achieved by the Trump administration. So yes, uh, I think we might see a different agreement, a better agreement, uh, and I don't see such a dramatic change. Uh, but uh, clearly, it's going to give a whole different attitude towards the whole region. Don't forget that we are only part of the region, Ben. And the way the Saudis, the Emirates, the others are looking at this, they are looking at Iran, uh, any support for Iran and Iran hegemonial position in the region, they see that, and rightly so, as undermining their own existence sometimes in the region. So uh, yes, we have to be prepared to that. We have to uh, uh, clearly uh, put all the issues on the table with the American administration if there's a new American administration on the 3rd of uh, November. Uh, and this is really a crucial point. But I don't think it's going to be, you know, flip-flop completely, but built on what has been achieved until now. And of course, what Iran uh, did by uh, not committing to every part of this agreement. My last question, something for, uh, you know, for the soul. First of all, uh, you are director of the foreign ministry and you know the current director, Alonu Spies, very well, as uh, well as foreign minister uh, Gabi Ashkenazi. What do you think is the most important challenge they face, other than uh, normalization with the Sunni states? And another thing, I think I heard you at last year's Marie Jerusalem Post conference speaking about the vital need for diplomatic innovation, the new era of diplomatic innovation, and uh, we have all to, to join it and be there. What did you mean? First and foremost, I want to say that uh, the foreign ministry is in good hands. Uh, and now the Director General Alon Ushbi is, uh, is a real uh, professional. Uh, I think uh, Gabi Ashkenazi is a foreign minister. First, we have a foreign minister uh, who is really a foreign minister 24-7. Uh, the foreign ministry needed it. The foreign ministry needed uh, someone who's going to allocate is time and it was also operational. So we have a very good team in the foreign, uh, foreign office. Uh, uh, the challenges, the challenges is of course, you know, first and foremost, uh, the United States of America on both sides of the aisle to maintain that with the Jewish community, an amazing Jewish community, but reaching out to both parts uh, on both sides of the aisle in the United States of America uh, to really reach out to, uh, towards Europe. Uh, the foreign minister was out there now uh, in, the minister, in a meeting with all foreign ministers of the EU. 
And we have to be able uh, then to really the power competition now between the United States and China. We have to find, and that's a challenge, to navigate very well because China is a friend. China, uh, especially on the people to people, has huge respect for Israel and the people of Israel. It's an old civilization, but China is in conflict with the United States, with India. Israel has to navigate, and I think that's a hell of a challenge. Uh, look, diplomacy is changing, and uh, you heard me, and if uh, it would not uh, uh, change and use the new technology, uh, we are going to uh, really have a problem and maybe go backwards. What do I mean by that? Uh, it has to be active. It has to be able to measure, uh, measure what we do uh, in every embassy, how many delegations were sent to Israel, how many times the ambassador was on TV, how many times was he you know, on radio, how many, uh, what's the... Uh, 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 the industrial and, uh, and the trade relations with remote countries. Uh, it has to be measured, measured and it has to be measured in uh, all parts. So I would call it ROI, return on investment, uh, for on the economic side, the social side, the cultural side, and using technology, virtual reality. Ben, we, have, we can show people what a Hezbollah tunnel looks like, by virtual reality, we can move them in. Big data, uh, consular services, face recognition, why stand in line? The foreign ministry I know is working 24 seven, day and night all around the world. And we have of course the challenge that uh, uh, we have to deal with and this is Corona. Corona is also an amazing- Right now we are uh, getting used to Zoom diplomacy. Zoom diploma, we, we are already Zoom fatigued, but uh, <laughs> uh, the issue here is to use Corona as a, also an opportunity, not such a challenge, to cooperate in research, to really open up uh, flights. The foreign ministry today uh, has huge challenges and it has a very, very good team uh, to lead it to the next millennium. Ambassador Porcel, thanks for joining us and for this fascinating conversation. We will be back right after a short commercial break. Thank you. Shalom, Ambassador. Shalom, shalom. Thank you. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti.
Hi, and thank you for staying with us. In this uh, interesting conversation with Ambassador Ron Prosor, we learned from the Ambassador that the evolutionary stage can also be historic. It continues a long process, but also a significant strategic development because Israel is no longer, as the Ambassador said, the eternal mistress, but became a legitimate wife. The ambassador assumes that uh, the agreement with the UAE will be followed uh, by similar agreements with more Arab and Muslim states throughout the region. The main optimistic message this agreement uh, sends throughout the Middle East is that the leadership of the UAE is investing now in the future of its people, the young generation, and is moving from a traditional oil-based economy to a digital, sophisticated, modern economic power that is not committed anymore to external irrelevant obligations like the Palestinian problem. Another message to the Palestinians is that if you keep on refusing to everything, you will probably miss the train. And the last message in Ambassador Prostor's opinion is directed to Iran. We, the Sunni pragmatic states in the Middle East, will not sit back and let Iran go on and undermine the Middle East's stability. With these optimistic messages, we close this podcast. Thank you for listening. I am Ben Kaspit in On Israel at Al Monitor from Tel Aviv.